Hey, this is Delitra. Hey, everybody. This is Angela. And you're listening to Nutrient Sisters, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn how to nourish yourself. to another episode of Nutrient Sisters. So glad you all tuned into our episode today. My name is Delitra, and I'm here with my co-host. Hey! In today's episode, we're breaking down mental health and therapy and how it relates to communities of color. So one of the main issues we've identified is the stigma that's attached to receiving mental health services. The King MC Jay-Z went as far as to say that Black people are um, as scared as Black folks are of the cops, we're even more scared of therapists. That's a bold statement. Hmm. Typically, yeah, typically stigma acts as a deterrent from people seeking mental health care and when they actually need it. I can say personally, if I've also experienced this. Angela, can you share more about the stigma that exists in our society? Yes, girl, there's a lot. So so for one, so for, for people of color, and when I say people of color, for those of you who don't know, I'm grouping people together. So Asians, Blacks, Native Indians, Latinos, um, I'm kind of lumping them together. And I think sometimes people think that when you use the term people of color, that's only for Black people. So um, but anyway, so for people of color, seeking help for mental health is such um, a sign of disgrace for a number of reasons. Um, although with more exposure, it is getting, um, you know, kind of big on social media and things, and it is sort of changing. But, but for now, let's just talk about the stigmas. So for one, it's seen as a sign of weakness, right? So people of color have had to overcome so many obstacles for thousands of years That the idea of not being able to handle a little quote-unquote sadness is seen as being extremely weak. Um, You know, you have families whose parents came over here as immigrants with nothing in their pockets and they've sacrificed so much. You have communities where crime and drugs and things like that are at the forefront. You have wars going on. You have people starving, people fighting for their lives and their rights. And for many, the idea is that you can cope with this. Everyone is is suffering to some capacity, and so you should be able to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and cope with it. Um, and that's that's a two parter for this because um, you know there's that comparison factor, kind of like how we're taught to eat our food because people in Africa are starving. Mm-hmm. It's the same for for people of color in these communities. Like, look at everything going on, and you're sad. Like, grow up. Um, mm, yeah. Which kind of leads me to my next thing, right? So this this ties in this idea that you have um, no right to really feel the way that you're feeling. Like, why are you depressed? Why do you have anxiety? How could you possibly be struggling with these things? Look at your life. Um, now, this concept is really for those families who are in higher socioeconomic status. Um, but it's the idea that for people of color, especially when you're younger, you listen to what you're told, you do as you're told to do. 
and your thoughts and your feelings on any subject matter don't really, they don't really matter, right? Right. So it, again, it kind of becomes this idea of like, just suck it up. Um, I'm your parent and I know what's best for you. Mm. And I'll say this, depression and anxiety are not the only like mental health disorders that exist, right? So yeah. a lot of the times the idea of something being quote unquote wrong with their child is also not going to fly in these households, right? So yeah. for some of us, that then becomes this idea of like, well, what is wrong with me? Um, and that's how that sort of begins to arise for a lot of us because we've never really been faced with the knowledge of what's going on with us mentally and emotionally. Um, and for those who kind of live in a religious household, and and some of y'all know what I'm talking about when I say religious <laughs> household, okay? <laughs> the fear, yeah, <laughs> the fear of God has been placed upon you as well, right? So. Yes. Just keep praying. God will get you through it. Or, you know, suicide is sinful and you want to go to heaven yeah. and, you know, and yada, yada, yada. Oh, my so, Right. <laughs> I can tell you how many times I've heard that, like, you know, just just pray to God or you can't kill yourself or you go straight to hell. It's hey. like, okay, well, I'm feeling like I'm in hell right now. So. <laughs> exactly. No, that's do? true. Yeah. And, and that sort of brings me to my third point, right? So a lack of education. Mm. So for starters, we are not educated on mental health issues from the time we're little. I first, I personally first heard about mental health conditions when I was a high schooler. Um, no one really taught me how to manage my feelings and emotions, how to talk about them, mm -hmm. how some thoughts were okay, how some thoughts might be harmful, like not a zilch, zilch yeah. like... I didn't learn those things. And so the idea that we don't teach our children about mental health is already just problematic. Um, sure. But two, our understanding of mental health is similar to that seen on TV. So you have a white therapist typically with a pen and a paper and you have someone lying down on the couch. And Delich, I don't, have you ever gone to therapy? Yes, I have. I have. Okay. And I have too. And ha was this an experience for you to to lay down on the couch while you just no. cried and told your story? No, <laughs> I thought it was something super dramatic and emotional. I was going to be crying and that's right. never happened. To me. Exactly. And that's not saying that it can't happen, but that's yeah. but that's the only image that we've ever that we're ever being shown um, mm -hmm. in the media. Um, and so there's this idea that going to therapy that that going to a therapist um, they're just going to listen to you talk and they're going to tell you everything that's wrong with you. And I'm here to tell you that that ain't it <laughs> because people of color <laughs> have, they have a very little understanding of what a therapist is, what going to therapy means, mm -hmm. why they should go to therapy in the first place, because there's so many, they, they, their ideas of these things have been so clouded for years and years um, by everything that I just mentioned. So I mean, even to this day, and this is a little personal, but my boyfriend who's Liberian, when mm -hmm. I mention therapy, his first response is, oh, that's a white person thing. Mm -hmm. um, as if it's only for one specific group of per people. So right. wow. it's, it's a lot. There's a lot of stigmas. And I'm sure, I'm sure, A, you probably have some of your own that you've probably grown up with. I'm sure our listeners have a few too. So if that's true, then you should comment down below and let us know. Um, 
But Delitra, I know that you have the scoop on the challenges that people face in regards to mental health challenges. So right. yeah. I'm gonna give the mic to you. <laughs> so let's let's try to unpack like a lot of this because I, I found a lot, of course, I know from being a person of color, but I've I've also done my research. I thought it was important to note that um, the different challenges, unique challenges that um, people of color, Black, Indigenous, Asian, Latinx, everybody um, can experience um, mentally. So the established barriers for for us, the first one, very important, racism and discrimination. Mm -hmm. there, there's the, the daily racism that we encounter can result in lasting trauma. Um, a lot of people of color experience PTSD, mm-hmm. poor self-image. You know, if you're always being told that you're wrong or you, you look wrong or you speak wrong, you know, you can start to feel bad about yourself. Um, also, I want to note that in some instances, Issues that affect white people are handled more seriously and carefully than those issues that affect people of color. An example of that is how America has handled the opioid epidemic versus the crack epidemic in the 80s. Girl. As we see with the opioids... You know, it's very white, um, middle to upper class people. The crack epidemic was affecting a lot of black and brown poor people. Right. And what did they do? They locked them up. They weren't giving help and these billboards and um, using the overdose medication to, to save them. That wasn't happening. And of course, the people that are struggling with opioids, you know, they need help. Too, but they are not more important than the people of color that suffered from the crack epidemic. Exactly. Um, so speaking of that, it's also noted that people of color are overrepresented in the criminal justice system. So statistics show that over 50% of those incarcerated have mental health concerns. And typically... Um, the mental health treatment in jails and prisons are, um, the quality of care is low and it's not funded appropriately enough. Um, so not to mention also how, you know, usually people that have substance abuse problems, the first line of defense is to lock them up mm-hmm. rather than give them rehabilitation services, counseling whatever. And guess who they're locking up more for this? People of color. Right. So that's my little soapbox on that part. I could talk about that for for hours. Right. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But it's important. Yeah, it is. I mean, we're the most affected when it comes to those problems that are huge mental health stressors. Um, Another issue is we're greater we have a greater vulnerability to being um, underinsured or uninsured. So uninsured, of course, you don't have any health insurance. Underinsured, meaning you don't 
have uh, enough access to mental health services. So you got a little bit of insurance or your insurance doesn't cover that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also access barriers. So where you live, you may live um, in a rural area. So you, you don't have access. Again, it's, it's harder to access a mental health professional. Communication and language barriers. So those who speak um, English as a second language, also um, nonverbal communication. Like some different cultures, they perceive nonverbal communications in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not, a lot of times it's not respected when they're receiving treatment. Right. Another huge thing is fear and mistrust of treatment. So we have history of where medical professionals have violated us. Right. So Tuskegee experiments, um, Henrietta Lacks and the use of her cells, the gynecological trials on black women without anesthesia. There's so much more. Yeah. Um, This is one of the most popular ones. So um, someone might be afraid that they may become an experiment or violated yeah right Um, another thing to note is the different cultural perceptions about mental illness um and Angela was kind of referencing that when she was talking about um religion and how they perceive mental illness um also help seeking behavior so the way that different cultures uh look for help um, and what they considered well-being, like what it means to be well. So usually there's not a one-size-fits-all prescription, and this is especially true in the communities of color. Mm-hmm. Another thing is the origins of psychotherapy. So it was reported that mainstream psychotherapy in America has its roots in Western Europe. So going back to what you said about your boyfriend being from Liberia, is that correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Africa versus Europe, totally different. And I can see how <laughs> yes. you say, oh, <laughs> that's for white people. Because right. that's where their, their roots are. Um, another thing I want to mention is uh, that's important. Is people of color are, are um, less frequent to be included in research for mental health. So this can also relate to mistrust, but the problem here is that data is not captured to improve services for people of color. And uh, they're not able to develop greater strategies to combat stigma and other unique challenges that I just um, mentioned. Okay. Um, And the last thing I want to know is... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I just never knew about the research. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it's not surprising. I just didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's seen um, pretty often that especially Black people are not included in research studies. And that can really be said about a lot of research studies, not just mental health. Yeah. Um, A lot of times it includes white people. And then when you see that, it's hard to generalize the results to a wide group of people. Okay. It's just, it's more relevant to the people that they were working with. So the white 
um, group in Minnesota or whatever. So it's hard to generalize that to everybody. Okay. Last thing yeah. I want to know is the mistreatment of providers. So I'm noticing now in social media, like the discussions that we're having about how medical providers can mistreat people of color. So they can brush off your concerns, deny treatment. Um, they can gaslight you. Mm-hmm. They can, you know, say, are you really sure that happened? Or um, laugh at what you've reported. Right. They could also refuse to treat um, what you report is is really happening because they don't believe that. Angela, have you heard about this discussion now about, you know, like black women dying through childbirth and, you know, the doctor's not really listening to what they're talking about? Yeah. Well, so I think it was like maybe a year ago was when I first saw that black women are dying at a a higher rate than their, you know, white counterparts, um, especially uh, as it relates to like pregnancies and things. And I didn't know that I when I and I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't had a social media account to be honest but um <laughs> I mean let's be honest so yeah and it's just it's crazy because now there's so much information on it but it's like well how come we're just now finding out about this like what's going on and why why is it now all of a sudden like a huge thing Well I think more people are speaking now and they have a platform and sometimes you don't, and even though we experience racism on a daily basis, really. And sometimes yeah. I'll speak for myself, it's hard to know. It was like, was that racist or was that person just like a jerk? And yeah. I've had experiences with medical professionals, not all of them, where like, you know, we're arguing at the visit. Wow. Because okay. it's like, okay, um, I know you should be doing this and you're trying to do this. So we're not going to do that today. No, we're going to do it because you have to do it. No, I don't have to do anything, actually. Okay. And they try to, some, they try to use their, their position um, to make it seem like you're inferior or you don't know about, you know, what is good for your health or, um, I'll report as this way. And they're like, no, it should be that way. And then we're kind of having like a spar. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to admit that. Like there's, there's been times where um, I've done that. And I have to say that those providers were not people of color. Mm-hmm. So um, it's, it's, it's hard to, for me personally, I'm like, dang, was that racist? You know, were they sexist or mm-hmm. were they you know, just arrogant. Um, but me putting the pieces together of all the different stories, like it's, it's, it happens more often than people think. And to me, it seems like it's really skewing towards racism okay. and discrimination. Right. So, you know, we can talk about that for a different topic, but <laughs> that, that leads me to, you know, to highlight the importance of the concept of culturally competent care. So yeah. if you haven't heard about that, what that is, or you've heard of it and you don't know what it is, um, the American Hospital Association describes cultural competency um, as the ability of systems to provide care to patients with diverse values, beliefs, and behaviors, including the tailoring of healthcare delivery to meet patients' social 
cultural and linguistic needs. Mm-hmm. So remember I was talking about like how, you know, it's not a one size fits all prescription and you really need someone that's going to consider all of those factors. I talked about a lot of challenges and I'm sure there's more out there, mm-hmm. but they have to consider all of that when they're talking to you. And one thing that I found was interesting a statistic was that um, there is approximately 86% of uh, psychologists are white and less than 2% are African-American. This is according to the American Psychological Association. Really? That is a very um, significant number. Yeah. So, like, um, and you know that there there can be some some white psychologists that that uh, consider all those things, and that's great. But I find more than often that they're not thinking about you know all the different um, intricacies and challenges that we deal with. So um, it was part of that one thing that happens is there's conscious or unconscious bias from providers and their lack of cultural competence can result in misdiagnosis, inadequate treatment and cause you to mistrust mental health professionals overall. Um, One thing that was alarming to me was they found that black men are overdiagnosed with schizophrenia four times more likely than white men to be diagnosed while they're underdiagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorders and mood disorders. Now, we know they need to be probably diagnosed more often with that, (laughs) with the trauma and, you know, the racism and discrimination that they deal with on a a daily basis. Another last thing I want to know is that um, it was reported that African-Americans and Latinx communities may be more likely to identify and describe physical symptoms related to mental health problems. For example, they can describe bodily aches and pains when they're talking about depression. And a mental health professional that's not culturally competent might not recognize these symptoms um, as a mental health condition. So they're not even picking up on that. They're like, oh, you know, they have the flu or they have a headache or something like that. When really it could be something um, deeper than that. Right. Yeah. I, I never knew that about the schizophrenia. That is insane. I, it's wow. It's like, wow. Wow. Going to the, the wrong mental health professional can have you misdiagnosed on some medication that you don't need to be on and having potentially an image about yourself that you don't even really identify with. Right. So you have a different life now, possibly. Yeah, a very different life. I imagine the schizophrenia, the the medicine you take for that isn't just some like mild, you know, (laughs) medication. I mean, I'm sure that's that's altering your your state of mind there. Your brain chemistry. That's, Um, oof. Yeah, it's crazy. Let me get off my soapbox. Angela, what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I know I had, I had a lot for us to digest. There's so much out there um, yeah. on 
a competency in the mental health field? Like, what do you think? So, uh, so I have, I have some thoughts. <laughs> and I mean, I think the first question that arises, and I think you spoke a little bit on it too, is like, what, what does it mean to incorporate cultural competency in the healthcare field? Right. Um, mm-hmm. And there were four main things that I sort of, um, that, that jumped out to me. So the first one is setting up clinics in more geographical locations, right? And you spoke a little bit about that too. But, yeah. um, you know, like last week we talked about food swamps and food deserts. And now we're talking about therapy and it's it's kind of all coming together. It's like, well, where the heck are the therapy yeah. centers? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know where they are. And I live in a pretty like, you know not a high socioeconomic status, but it's, you know, like medium maybe. (laughs) So, so for me to not even know where my therapy centers are, I can't imagine somebody who might not be in the same position as me, you know, where would they go? Right. Yeah. Um, And then along with, you know, setting up these clinics is expanding the hours of the operation. Right. So, That's tough because I know everybody wants those good hours. Everybody wants that, you know, eight to four, nine to five. Those are good hours for a lot of people. But Mm -hmm. we need to start broadening our approach, right? Because not everybody works a nine to five. Not everybody can go to appointments from nine to five without taking Mm -hmm. off from work or, you know, getting a babysitter, whatever, whatever have you, you know? Um, So that was interesting. I would have never thought about that. and then another one was, you know, providing the linguistic competency and in the, in the interpreter services, which you kind of touched on a little bit. Um, but yeah, we agree we need that. Yes. And yeah. the fourth one was basically recruiting and maintaining minority staff and mm. providing training for staff about cultural awareness, cultural knowledge and skills and things, which yeah, I think... When people think training at work, they're like, oh, God. <laughs> and it's a little true, right? I mean, for any yeah. training, it's like, here we go, another PowerPoint. And, but it's important because I and, – and I would beg to I – would, I would beg the question to a lot of therapists, do you get training? Like, you go to school mm. and you, you, know, you become a therapist, and then while you're working, it's like, is there ongoing training for you? Um, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, as it relates to cultural competency, I, yeah. my guess would be no, but that's just me making an assumption. So, um, and, but let's be, let's be honest for a minute because, and and you touched on it too. I mean, mm-hmm. when I, when I see somebody that looks like me and they quote unquote made it, girl, <laughs> I mean, yeah. to see to see an educated black woman as a therapist, yeah. it's like it's like yes, queen. I'm snapping, yeah. yeah because it's, it, it's it's it's, and I imagine it's that way for other people. You know, I imagine it's that way mm-hmm. for for Asians and for Latinos and things like that. But um, right, and I mean, it's the reason why we wanted to have a black Spider Man, right? <laughs> <laughs> Because, because we want to see the profession yeah. as a reflection of the world that we live in. And right. you touched on the, you know, the discrepancy between how many white people are in the field versus black people. Yeah. And it, that's a little, well, one, it's a little scary that that's still a thing in 2020. But, um, right. but we, we need to be, we have to fight those barriers. You know, we need to see more people. Um, that look like us that are in are that are in the field. 
Um, of course. And I mean, and you touched on, you know, the language barriers and the cultural and the religious burials, uh, barriers. But I would say for me personally, um, you know, as I, I wanted somebody that I could relate to, right? So as an as an interracial adopt interracial adoptee, um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how long I searched and searched for someone who specialized in adoption because I mm-hmm. knew that they could either a relate or they could at least understand and empathize with what I needed them to. Um, so, and, and you have to understand that it's all about building rapport and wanting to have a, a, a connection with your provider because. Why would mm-hmm. I waste my time with someone who I barely like? Like you said, it was like, <laughs> I'm not trying to fight my therapist. <laughs> like, okay. like, this isn't like a cash me outside. <laughs> like, no, I'm going to you because I need help. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone that can really understand you. I didn't even think about like adoption being like a unique thing, like someone with experience with that that experience being a unique thing that you would look for in a provider. Right. That's not something I considered. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, and and so I think that's the the thing for a lot of people. I mean, um, you know, when we talk about uh, incorporating cultural competency, we just have to think we just need to fight these barriers because we, we just, we need to, we need more of, of people of color in this field. We need more people of color that are attending um, you know, sessions with therapists. We need to educate them more. I mean, there's just so many things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we need our allies too. We need, we need y'all too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> we, need, we need y'all to learn, listen, support, you know, you're a part of this as yes. well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We- learn first, learn first. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> Lord. But Okay. So you have some tips for our listeners. So yeah, what are these tips. And you know, I forgot to say obviously we're not <laughs> mental health uh professionals. So, yes. um, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, we've researched and I've found some tips to sustain or maintain your mental health. The first one, which I really love, is to take a mental health day or break. That that's my th- thing like I take time off work to do this I personally I get overwhelmed when I'm doing a lot of tasks or maybe I'm just overworking myself or getting burned out it's it's often necessary to take a break or if you can afford it a day to just de-stress like you'd be surprised how much good that would do um for you yeah. Another tip is to um, get enough sleep. So you may be familiar with uh, the recommendation, which is seven to nine hours is the recommended time frame for adults. I don't know about other people, but when I haven't gotten enough sleep, <laughs> I'm no good. I'm no good. I'm irritated. Uh huh. I feel off balanced. Yeah, you know, you you being real nice to yourself because irritated is not the word, not the word I would use. <laughs> I just I just feel different. Like sleeping is my jam, and when I don't get enough, I'm just not enough. <laughs> right. But you, do you do you get seven to nine hours? I do actually. Dang, that's I real do. nice. 
And I know other people struggle with that and I sympathize with you guys, but <laughs> I get I get my sleep. I'm like, okay, I need to wake up at this time. So I need to go to bed at this time. Like I I schedule it out. I make sure um, I'm getting enough sleep. Listen, for, for all the, the listeners, Deletria ain't got no kids. <laughs> That's true. It's just, just me, and, me and my hubby. It's just me and mine. You know, we got a cat. <laughs> And she tries to wake us up at like right. up, but I ain't getting up for her. Right. Oh yeah. boy. So blessings to those that have, you know, um outside or extra uh responsibilities that stop you from doing that. We're gonna talk about that's gonna be one of our episodes, you know. Yeah, we are. Another tip is to move your body. So physical activity is known to boost your self-esteem, even if it's not about like losing weight, you know, you just feel good exercising. Like you have a, an improved self-image. Like if you're doing something that you like, not anything that you hate to do. Yeah. Um, it can also improve your sleep. So if you guys haven't been doing that and you're having sleep issues, think about doing that. Um, and it can also help you concentrate. Um, another tip is to Eat a well-balanced diet. So, you know, mm. we're nutritious people. So, uh, of course, we're going to talk about this. So our fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lean meats, nuts and seeds, water, um, drinking water. A balanced diet has been reported to affect mood-regulating brain chemicals. So, okay. and good does so much for us. Yes. One thing that's important to do is to avoid drugs and alcohol. So clearly drugs are illegal. Some people <laughs> still have access to them. <laughs> um, but alcohol is legal and available for those who are 21 and up. And some people use alcohol and drugs to numb the pain. Yeah. And usually these um, consuming these items, especially alcohol and excess, can make your problems worse. So you can become addicted. You can engage in risky behaviors. You could potentially die from oh. an overdose. Yep. Or um, acquire alcohol poisoning, and they're going to have to pump out your stomach. So kind of making your, your life worse than, you know, what you started with. Yeah. Um, another good thing is to find some healthy coping methods so all of us we got issues you know we got stuff going on it's really you know a lot of times it's about how we deal with those problems so um you can engage in meditation prayer if you're religious laughing can do so much good for you um and having fun like doing fun things that can improve your mood um Another tip is to surround yourself with a great support system. And I know this is really hard now with social distancing, COVID-19, um, but there's still ways that we can reach out to people. So you can call somebody, do a little FaceTime, you can send a DM or a message. Angela <laughs> and I send stuff through Instagram DMs all the time. Right. Um, so you can talk to someone about what you're going through 
or to get your mind off of something like a little distraction for you. Right. Um, But I do want to know that your friends and your family cannot be your everything. So if you're always turning to them with your problems all the time, uh, more than like, I guess what's the average other than every now and again, girl, I'm having issues. Mm-hmm. Um, really rely on them. You will burn them out. Yes. And they're not, they're not going to have want to have anything to do with you. Like They're going to stop answering your calls because then they got stressed now trying to help you out with your problems. Yeah. And they don't have all the answers to your problem. You know, they can only tell you so much. Mm-hmm. So that's when it's when it is important to seek out a professional to speak to, to them about your problems, about, um, you know, the issues that you're experiencing. They have, you know, set up time to talk to you. They're paid to listen to you. Right. They don't have no stake in your life and you're not going to be overburdened, overburdening them with your problems. That's what they're there for. Um, and speaking of that, Angela, I know you have some resources where our listeners can find help that they need. Yes. So I have a lot. So, so the first thing that I'm going to say, social media is your best friend. (laughs) There are so many people on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, shoot, like every social media account you could ever imagine. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, and I know like the three that I follow and I'm probably going to butcher their names. So I'm so sorry. But Dr. Thema, Dr. Marielle Bouquet, Dr. Barbara Shabazz. I mean, these are just a few people. But um, honestly, I would say to all of our listeners, take the time to scroll through the hashtags, the accounts. Um, Mm -hmm. You'll find so many resources just from one one singular app. Um, And I would say Pinterest. Pinterest is really great to you. I mean, sometimes all you have to do is just type in like mental health or depression or whatever it is you're looking for, and it'll just come up with like a laundry list of resources, which are then linked to professionals in the field. So, I mean, social media is your best friend. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. But I would, I would say, right. But, but I would say that there's, so there are a lot of websites, right? And I kind of broke it down for, so I, I kind of looked some up for, for black people. I looked some up for, um, for some immigrants, for Asian, for Latina. So I will kind of break it down a little bit. There are a lot. So I probably haven't even listed um, all of them. But so the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is where I kind of got some of my research from, um, that's a really good one to use. That's NAMI.org, I believe. Um, There's Melanin and Mental Health. There's therapy for black girls. And these are all kind of databases that um, provide you with, you know, contact names and things that you can kind of go and and look up providers for yourself. Um, You've got actress. So Taraji P. Henson. Yes, girl. She founded the Boris Lawrence Henson Foundation in 2018. Um, It was to honor her, her father who struggled with like PTSD and things. And, um, so again, that's a foundation that helps to increase mental health care access. You have Black Emotional and Mental Health Collective. 
Um, mm-hmm. That's a group that kind of advocates for a number of things, not just therapists. Um, and basically, in their words, they say it's a world where there are no barriers to Black healing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, right? Then you've got the National Queer and Trans Therapist of Color Network, which, yes, that's important, too. Um, And then you've got one that was created by um, a pretty well-known academic and and writer and lecturer, Rachel Cargill. Cargill. I hope I'm pronouncing her name. I'm so sorry, Rachel. But um, she created the Loveland Therapy Fund, which is a nonprofit organization um, that helps to defray the cost of therapy for black women and girls. So Ooh. yes, girl. Yeah. Um, then for, you know, uh, other groups of people, we have supporting mental health of immigrant communities, lots of database mm-hmm. that you can use. We have the national Alliance for Hispanic health. We have, we are native that's for young, um, native youth and, and, um, which promotes like holistic health and things. You have One Sky Center, which is an American Indian slash um, like Alaska Native um, resource for health and education. You have Indigenous Story Studio, which creates like illustrations and posters and things for health and social issues for for the youth. You have Strength of the Sash and Tomorrow's Hope. That's suicide prevention. Um, you have making it right and just a story. These are kind of things that help to um, break down like mental health stigmas. Um, you have the National Asian American Pacific Islander Mental Health Association. Woo, that's a long one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have SouthAsianTherapist.org. You have Asian, Asian Mental Health Collective. So these are just a few of the ones that I found. There are literally probably a million more out there. Yeah. So if any of our viewers viewers know any of um of any great ones that maybe they utilize or that they've heard people utilize, go ahead and drop them in our comments section. Yeah, let us know. I didn't know about half of that stuff. Uh, Me neither. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it was a little bit of shock to my system when I saw it because. It's like, wait a minute, how come I didn't know about this? <laughs> Here I am just like living life, trying to find a therapist right. and right. they're all right there. I'm, yeah, I'm like in my provider directory for my health insurance, like copy and pasting the names into Google to see if I can find a picture or a profile or something like that. Right. And we have these directories already available for us. The, the internet's amazing. Yeah, it definitely is. I mean, it's it can be scary at times, you know, but I think it's definitely and I I can't wait to see what the future looks like. But I think it's been incredibly powerful um, because it just it connects groups of people. It connects you from every, you know, social background. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. We're blessed. We're lucky. We are. So I would say that, you know, we talked about a lot of things and I, um, Delitra and I both appreciate all of you for listening. Um, Therapy as it pertains to people of color is such a heavy topic. I mean, there's probably so many more things that we could have talked about. Um, There's so much involved. We could probably do another whole episode on it. Um, But I would say that if you are struggling with something, whether it be emotionally or mentally, 
we do encourage that you seek out the appropriate resources. Um, there are so many that exist and you don't have to suffer in silence. So seeking help for a mental health conditional condition is normal and it's perfectly okay. Um, Delitra and I wish you all the best. And as always, help us spread the word by following us on social media, liking our content, reposting it. Um, and we're always here to chat if you guys want to directly message us as well. So thanks for the support and stay safe. Bye.